Well, uh, in the unforgettable words made most popular by Michael Bublé, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, it's now just six sleeps till Christmas. And uh, I know for some of you that might sound exciting. Uh, for others, as you hear that, you just think about all of the things that we need to get done over the next few days. Um, but it is a time of the year when we do get to celebrate. Uh, and as those who love the Lord Jesus... Well, it's a special time of the year when we remember the astonishing mercy of God that he would come to us, uh, that he would come into our world, that he would come into our flesh uh, to be born as one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, And I think it's wonderful that we do celebrate Christmas in our society. I I know that it's commercialised. I know that you'll see more about Santa and elves than you will about Jesus. But Christmas does give us this great opportunity, doesn't it, to celebrate ourselves, uh, but as well to to share the good news with our friends and families, to share with them something of the the good news of the gospel. And if you're going to be here in Wagga um, this Christmas, then I do encourage you to try and come along to one of our services, grab some of those postcards uh, on your way out, invite someone along, uh, someone who you'd love to hear something of the, the good news. Um, Our theme this year is a pretty simple one, uh, good news, great joy. And uh, that's taken from that great uh, verse in Luke's Gospel where the angel uh, says that to the shepherds. Uh, The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And uh, over our Christmas services and um, kicking off today, uh, well, I want us to just sort of think about, well, what is this good news that brings great joy? Uh, That's the question that we'll be asking. And, you know, I imagine if you asked people what brings them joy at Christmas, then there'd be all kinds of different answers, wouldn't there? Uh, It gives us a chance to relax for a few days, Um, gives us a bit of a break from work, a time to see family and friends, of course, if you ask the younger members, it's, you know, it's a time to get lots of presents, uh, all of these things that can bring us joy. But what is it about the good news of Jesus that brings great joy? Uh, that's really what I want to explore. And um, I've been at St Aidan's for a few years now, and it does get a little bit hard to know which bit are we going to do. We, we've, we've done Matthew, We've done Luke, we've done John, uh, we've looked at all those different narratives over the years and you know some of them say more, some of them say less about the Christmas story. So this year what I thought we'd consider over a few different talks is well, what is the particular emphasis from each of the gospel writers? And, and if you ask them the question, you know, if you said to Matthew or Mark or Luke, uh, what is the good news of Christmas? Well, how is it that they might answer that question? And so we're going to begin today with Matthew. So it'd be great if you can have that open. And, uh, and I think what we see for Matthew, the good news uh, that he focuses on is that the king has come. Uh, the king who God promised, the king that we long for, the king that we need. Uh, why do I think that Matthew's focus is on the good news of the king? Well, take a look there at chapter 1. This is how he begins his gospel. Uh, Matthew 1, verse 1. I mean, he begins with a genealogy. 
Uh, and if you've ever done any training in public speaking, you know you meant you know you meant to capture someone's attention at the beginning. Maybe not the best way to start. But Matthew one verse one, he begins by saying, "This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham." And that word Messiah, if you've got a pew Bible, uh, if you look down, you've got a footnote there in your Bible uh, saying that Messiah is a Hebrew word which means the same thing as the Greek word Christ. And what both of those words mean uh, is anointed one. And so as we think back to the Old Testament, well, who was it that was anointed? Uh, Well, a few people, actually. There's uh, sometimes priests, uh, sometimes prophets, but most significantly, it's the kings in Israel who were publicly anointed with oil when they were proclaimed as, as God's king, as the king over God's people. Samuel anointed Saul as the first king, uh, and then David following him. Uh, those who were anointed are a Messiah. Now, over the centuries, uh, the kings of Israel came and went. Some were good, most were bad. Uh, but, and God's people, over that time, they begin to look forward, not, to, not just to a Messiah, but to the Messiah. And uh, so I think it's with all of this Old Testament expectation in the background that we come to Matthew 1, uh, the first words of the New Testament, and what he announces is here the good news of the promised Messiah, uh, that he has come, the promised son of David, the son of Abraham, and we're told that his name is Jesus. Uh, What Matthew wants us to know is that this good news about Jesus, well, this is really the next um, section in a continuing story, in the the next chapter in God's great plan of salvation. I think that's what the genealogy tells us because you notice as uh, you you look over it, and particularly if you jump to verse 17 at the end, which is a bit of a summary, um, uh, Let let me read verse 17. It says, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So three groups of 14. Now you might think that is very neat, isn't it? Um, In fact, it's it's a bit too neat. And I think the neatness of it is a signal to us that it's not actually a complete genealogy that Matthew gives us in in that opening section. Instead, he's been selective. He's left some names out. Um, He hasn't included every single person that he could have, and it's not that hard to work that out. If you go back to Kings and Chronicles and compare the names, you can see that Matthew's been a bit selective. But I think the, uh, the point of doing that is that what he wants to communicate is that here is Jesus the Messiah who all of these other huge Old Testament events have been pointing to. And the structure of it is showing us that these are the big defining moments in the story so far. Uh, First of all, Abraham. You know, God promised that it would be one of his sons who would bring blessing to the whole world. And then David... God promised, as we just saw recently in Chronicles, God promised that one of David's sons would be given a kingdom that would last forever. 
And then third, the other, well, um, event there, not a person this time, the exile to Babylon. Now you think, why does that feature? Well, this is the, the third big defining moment for God's people. Because the promise that God made was that so long as the people lived by faith and obedience, then they would know God's blessing, they would have a king over them. But if, on the other hand, if they turned away from the Lord, well, they would be removed from the promised land and they would receive God's punishment in exile. And tragically, that is what God's people did. Uh, That is the sad history of Israel in the Old Testament. They turned their hearts away from the Lord. They rebelled against him. And so because of their sin, well, God's people were taken into exile as captives to Babylon. And for God's people, um, if you remember when we looked at Jeremiah a little while ago, I mean, that time was, it was the lowest of the low as they suffered there under God's judgment. And yet it was also in that time that uh, during the exile when the prophets began to speak again words from God, uh, words of hope and restoration, uh, words of a promised Messiah who would bring about God's gracious purposes and would triumph even despite the people's sin. Um, Isaiah spoke of a son who would be given and the government would be on his shoulders. Uh, Micah, as we just read, spoke about a ruler who would come out of Bethlehem and his reign would reach to the ends of the earth. And so here, Matthew opens the New Testament with these words of Jesus the Messiah, the king that God promised, the one who is the son of Abraham, the son of David, the one who comes to save the people from their sins. And this is what is made clear then, I think, as Matthew continues from verse 18, and he moves from that genealogy which is sort of that big picture of everything that's happened beforehand, God's plan of salvation through the ages, to now focusing right in on the Christmas story and to focusing in on one couple at the end of that genealogy, Um, this young couple in Nazareth and the baby who would be born to them. Now we notice here that Matthew, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of things that he just doesn't tell us uh, about the Christmas story. Um, He doesn't record the uh, journey to Bethlehem. Um, He doesn't mention the shepherds out in the field. Uh, He doesn't say anything to us about a manger or an inn. Um, It's Luke's gospel that we need to go to to get all of that information. But instead, the focus for Matthew at this point, it's now all about Joseph. Now, maybe that seems a bit strange because I think Joseph often hardly rates a mention. Uh, Think about your standard nativity play. Um, You know, maybe he's the one who leads the donkey, uh, but then stands off to the side while Mary nurses the baby. Um, He's a bit, he's he's not centre stage, is he? But he is here for Matthew. And uh, Joseph here is described to us in verse 19 as someone who is faithful to the law. Uh, That's telling us that, I mean, here is one of God's people. Um, an Israelite who trusted in God and his promises, someone who himself was waiting for the Messiah to come. But of course, Joseph is as surprised as anyone about how God would keep that promise. 
And as he discovers here that Mary is pregnant, well, he initially looks to divorce her quietly. But then the angel from God speaks to him, saying that this is God's plan for how the Messiah would be born. See there, I'll read from verse 20. It says, The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, of course, that is life-changing news for Joseph, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's life-changing news for the whole world. Um, But certainly it turns Joseph's world upside down. And with this word from God, well, we're told then that he takes Mary to be his wife and soon she gives birth to a son and uh, Joseph, we're told, gives him the name Jesus. Uh, Joseph gives him the name Saviour. That's what Jesus means because that's what Israel longed for. And that's what God promised, someone who would undo the exile, one who would save his people from their sins. And then as we continue to chapter 2, well, we see that this is the kind of king that the world needs. Uh, As you go to chapter 2, this is the the final bit that um, Matthew tells us about the Christmas story, which is really now a showdown between two different kings. Uh, Matthew's been telling us so far that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, now born in David's line as a son of Joseph, as the genealogy showed us. But of course what that brings about now is this sudden confrontation or showdown between these two kings because there already is a king in Israel, King Herod. And he has no intention of giving up his throne lightly. And I'd want to say that this king, King Herod, well, he is exactly the kind of king that the world does not need. And uh, the introduction of Herod here, well, it brings about a very dark moment in the Christmas story. And we thought about uh, what the Herodians were like um, when we were in Acts a little while ago, but, I mean, Herod was a a very violent and ruthless man. Um, He's recorded as murdering many possible rivals to his throne, many members of his own family, uh, in order to, um, well, because he was really paranoid about losing power, about losing the throne. And that's because Herod himself was a pretender to the throne. It was the Romans who made him a king, even though he himself was not of Jewish descent. Uh, The truth was that Herod had no right to be the king. And Matthew now records this, if you pick it up there at the start of chapter 2. So it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one born King of the Jews? You can see how that statement might get under Herod's skin. The one born King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
how does Herod respond to that? Well, for, G, uh, well, for him, Jesus is a threat. Uh, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so he calls in the theologians and he asks, well, where is the Messiah to be born? Well, in Bethlehem, they reply. How do you know? Well, it's in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, from out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And knowing that, well, Herod deceives the wise men who came to inquire of him. Um, He tells what's probably the first lie here in the New Testament. Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, we know that's a lie, don't we? And uh, when Herod realises later that the wise men did not come back to him, well, he orders that all of the boys in Bethlehem, two years uh, and younger, be killed. Again, it's a picture of his violence and insecurity as he does all that he can to, to get rid of the newborn king. But we see that even Herod, with all of his power and his violence, well, he cannot defeat the purposes of God. Because in Jesus, well, finally God's true king has come. Herod throws everything at him. And uh, behind this, we should see that behind Herod's actions is really the work of the evil one. And in the book of Revelation, well, this, um, this is pictured uh, dramatically. A verse will come up, I think. Um, in chapter 12 of Revelation, uh, we're told there about this huge red dragon, which uh, John calls the ancient serpent, who seeks to destroy a child who is born, a child who is born to rule the nations. But we're told of how that child is protected by God. And what's sort of pictured in that apocalyptic way in, in Revelation, well, this is the, the narrative that Matthew is telling us, uh, that God's messenger, an angel, warns uh, the wise men not to return to Herod, And also Mary and Joseph are warned by an angel to take Jesus to Egypt uh, because Herod is seeking to kill him. And all this happens because God is protecting Jesus at his birth. He's protecting him because he's the true king of God's people. But we see that he is, well, his life is protected at his birth so that in time he might give his life to become the king that we need. And it's that same title, the king, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, that in the end, well, we see the the Roman soldiers use that title to mock Jesus. We see that same title written by Pontius Pilate above uh, Jesus as as he nails that to the cross where Jesus is crucified. That same title that almost got him killed at his birth, well, in the end, that is what will cost him his life. But, of course, what we know is that unlike every other king, like Herod, who died, and his reign came to an end, well, it was through death that Jesus would win the great victory over sin and evil and death, 
and be enthroned as God's king forever. And so this is what we sing about in so many of our Christmas songs. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Friends, that's the good news that I think Matthew focuses on and wants us to see and to sing about at Christmas. And as we today hear this good news from Matthew, well, I think the question we need to ask is, well, have we received this good news for ourselves? As you keep reading through Matthew's gospel, there's really a turning point right in the middle of, of his gospel where Jesus is alone with his disciples And he asks them the question, he says, who do people say that I am? And, uh, you know, they say there's different answers. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the other prophets. I think if we went down the street or if we asked our friends, you know, there'd be a whole lot of different answers that people would give today. You know, a good teacher, inspirational figure. But then Jesus asked his disciples a much more pointed question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And as he was so often the spokesman for the others, well, the crucial reply comes from Peter. And he answers, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter. He says, Peter, you got it. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And friends, that is the good news. And I hope that this Christmas that we will understand and confess what Peter confessed about Jesus, that he is the Messiah. That what Matthew is trying to show us here is that he is the king that we have been waiting for the king who came to die and rise again for us, the king who came to save his people from their sins. And if you have come to understand that, then this Christmas, well, may we not lose sight of this enormous blessing from God, that God has given you this gift of knowing who his son is, that he is the Messiah. And may that good news fill you with great joy this Christmas. Let me pray that that would be true for us. Our Father God, we do thank you for this time of the year when we can remember and celebrate your great uh, kindness to us and your mercy toward us. That you did not leave us in our sin and our rebellion, but that you've given us a saviour, that you've given us a king in giving us your son. And so, Father, we rejoice and we worship him this Christmas. Amen.